It's a great day. Welcome to That's Great IT, your one-stop place to learn about IT ops by turning IT noise into insights and manual tasks into automated actions, powered by Big Panda. I'm your host, Craig Ferrara. Join me as I talk to tech experts and people from different walks of life, sharing great insights, the latest trends, and relevant topics about IT ops and AI ops. This is That's Great IT, powered by Big Panda. So thank you everybody for joining today's episode. If you've been listening in any sort of order to our past episodes, I think we probably just released some of our Tales from the Noxide episodes. And those are all fun. And we're talking about people microwaving fish in small knock operation centers and things like that. But what we're trying to get ourselves back to here is actually going into industry topics that are, we'll say, good points of conversation, things that we all should be talking about. I'm joined today, getting ourselves back on track away from the fun and funny, but not saying we can't have a good time on this episode. I'm joined by Nigel Peacock, who is a global IT leader, essentially, having spent his entire career in IT, started life as a developer, went through project management, IT management, service management, tons of background here, but I'll let Nigel introduce himself. So firstly, Nigel, thank you for joining us today. We'd love to hear a little bit about who you are before we start getting in, diving into our topic du jour, so to speak. You're welcome. Nice to meet you, Craig. I'm uh, happy to be here. I like segueing into the, now we're taking ourselves away from the fun and the funny and here's my <laughs> peacock. So thanks for that, by the way. That's uh, <laughs> a rosy I'm, welcome I'm, to the series. <laughs> I'm genetically predisposed for pessimism. It's okay. Yeah, look, I've um, I've been around IT all of my career, which spans over 20 years now. I started life as a developer and progressed as far within the development sphere as I could safely not be dangerous. And then the moment I became dangerous, I marched towards project management. Spent a good deal of time around project and program management as well, getting to know, you know, with the background in development, it's useful knowing how development teams tick and being able to manage those, et cetera. And then, you know, pursued opportunities within IT management, eventually ended up in IT service management. I became proficient and certified in ITSM, et cetera. So really spent a lot of time applying that, which eventually led me towards IT operations. And I think why I landed in IT operations is because it gives me a kind of a 360 degrees or a four cornered view of IT. It allows me to be involved at many different levels and in many different areas and not superficially, but certainly not enough to be able to do any damage as well. So operations fits a sweet spot having gained the experience across the board that I had. No, it makes perfect sense. And I think there's one of the themes that we're finding in a a lot of these really experienced industry professionals is A, we all have a dark sense of humor being with how we deal with, uh, you know, we remediate pain, but we also see a lot of the mistakes that are made. And if you can't learn to laugh at mistakes, if that's yourself or others, there's certainly going to be a tough day ahead of you, as well as finding that niche in the company where you want to fit, being able to see what's going on have a sense of how things are functioning, be able to affect change in a positive way from a certain viewpoint, which is a great segue into our topic of the day. So for those joining us, today's topic is really about how IT organizations justify spend. 
and how we're actually talking through headcount and technology and operations and how all of that comes together into a budget and justifying that budget back to the business. There's a lot of different ways to go about doing this. We've typically got, you know, this idea behind, oh, I've got a hiring model that I'm following, or I've got a portion of my budget that's going towards the tools and the facilities and even things like hardware that my teams are using to support our practice. Making that type of argument back to the business, translating that into a dollar amount, and then justifying that spend to the business typically requires some type of strategy or data-driven approach. And that's what we want to talk about today. So Nigel, to kick us off on this topic, let's talk just a little bit about, in your experience, managing some component of IT operations. Maybe it was a, a specific team, maybe it was an entire work group, maybe it's the entire IT organization. When you're thinking about budget, what are the components that of spend that you're thinking about when you're looking at an organization as a whole? How did you approach that? Well, let me just start by saying, in my experience, there's not one size fits all towards IT budget planning. Partially, there are strategies that I deploy and I can deploy, and I'll get into those in a second, to kind of safeguard the budget and safeguard the operation. But Fundamentally, you're at the mercy of how the company itself wants those budgets managed, how they assign and allocate budgets, and frankly, how much they care about the budgets as well. And that might seem an asinine thing to say, but I honestly have worked in organizations where your budget management and budget tracking was done almost at an hourly basis. I worked at other organizations, financial organizations, where there wasn't a budget. You, you provided justification and went with your cap in hand and asked for it, and you either got it or you didn't. So there's a broad spectrum of, of the way that budgets are both allocated, managed, and how you're expected to work with that as well. So having given you that short lecture from my own experiences, and I'm not saying any of it's right, incidentally, I will say this, that budget management is probably my least favorite part of any position that I'm in, but it's a necessary part, right? So back to the question, how do I justify it and how do I forecast where those budgets are going? I think I have to really start at a fairly high level and um, and again, I might be getting on a, soap, on a soapbox here, but the, a lot of... It, particularly with IT operations, it's mostly OPEX. Okay, you're looking at operating budgets and there's not a great deal of capital expenditure. But again, that might differ depending on how the company themselves work their accounting function. But in order to understand what you might need to maintain that operation, it's key to align with the business, the businesses that you're support and providing service to. And what I really mean by that, I'm kind of dumbing down that statement, if you want, is that just get to know the people that you're surviving. Get to know those people that are either in need or making improvements um, towards their technology requirements, if you want, and to technology futures. Uh, identify them, then, I don't know, take them out for a beer, get to know them as well, because those are the folks that will give you the insights you need in order to establish whatever claims you have on the go-forward OPEX budget. 
So are you saying in that respect then that you would be essentially justifying the services that IT operations provides by putting yourselves in the context of maybe the other services in the business that might be more closely connected to something like revenue? Like if this is an e-commerce company, go and get to know the people that run the online store or who are responsible for brick and mortar operations. Is that kind of establishing those relationships helps you, we'll say, focus your argument for budget and operating costs? It definitely helps to get to know and to align with revenue generators. I, look, at the end of the day, IT as a whole, regardless of IT operations, is a cost center. It's not there to generate any cash or any influx to the organization. So it certainly helps to understand and align with the revenue generators. And I'm not saying that they would necessarily play along or dip into their own cash and give you that. But when it comes to then justifying where you may need to increase spend over any particular area, you should be able to use them as a reference, if nothing else. Now, that makes complete sense to me. And I guess the next question I have, and genuinely coming at this as the, we'll say the uninformed listener, I always try to be as uninformed as I can. <laughs> but You'll be way in front of me, I promise you. <laughs> well, am I doing an okay job of sounding that way? <laughs> no, but the, the, the only the things that I'm thinking about then are okay. You know, maybe I'm a new IT leader. I am trying to propose a budget, and the things that I'm thinking about are okay. If I'm asking for, you know, X millions of dollars to support a certain headcount and the tools that we use, which is usually recurring license costs for observability, ITSM service management tools, whether it be ticketing or paging, collaboration tools, you name it. You've got some type of recurring costs to your tooling, and then you've got your people count. And there's definitely some nuance there into those categories. Do you then kind of break your budget down into those categories to say, hey, here's how much I want to spend on tooling, but it's going to save me in this other department. Our total value is this, but you know, I want to spend X percentage on tooling because it's going to help me prevent like, the cost over here in my headcount, so to speak. Do you, you know, early on in the process, are you thinking about bucketing your spend into different categories like that? Yes. And actually, some of that thinking is typically forced by your FPNA person. All right, if you're lucky to have one, and I usually do. So typically, there's guidance from them about how you categorize and which buckets you need to apply to. So that makes life simpler. It, the forecasting of it is the forecasting of it. Sorry, the forecasting of it is the less easy part of the equation. You can, of course, rely on past experience. On, on history and any metrics that you've managed to gather throughout the time that you've been looking after the budgets at an establishment. It doesn't necessarily give you the real picture of where you're heading forward. Headcount is a good one. Okay. So you may feel, or I may feel as leading an IT operations function, that my headcount may remain static for the next 12 months or so. That doesn't necessarily take into account any levels of attrition 
which while you may be replacing one for one actually does incur additional cost in even finding people to do that as well or it may necessitate temporary headcount spend to get you through a period of time as well so you can't really what i'm trying to say is you can't necessarily rely on look if i've got 100 people in my group today then i'll just budget for 100 people next year and be done with it it's not as simple as that there are a few other factors that creep into it also and this goes back to this partnering idea that I mentioned earlier as well. Look, HR aren't there to generate revenue. So it does contradict what I said a moment ago. However, they should have a handle on what the resource count is likely to look like for the next year. For instance, if HR are going are on a quest to bring in I don't know, another 50 people into sales, for instance. Well, that's not a direct effect on the IT headcount, but it certainly has an impact on the services that IT have to provide, whether that's provisioning equipment or licensing or any of the other kind of peripheral parts of that relationship. So it really does all go back to just get to know the people that are either controlling the budgets or making those decisions. It sounds like you can approach it two different perspectives. The first one is there is some historic metrics component like, hey, look, we are handling X number of incidents in these or tickets in these categories, and they're coming from these sources, and we're experiencing growth over time, right? The business is growing. I can project historic, if all things stay constant, which they don't, if all things stay constant, this rate of growth means we will have to staff to handle our current workload a certain way. But what I'm hearing though is that businesses do change, right? And businesses do grow. The services you support change. The number of people that you support change. And so the relationships that you establish across the organization helps you keep your fingers on the pulse of where things are going outside of your organization, which means changes to the ecosystem that you're supporting. So you have kind of the metrics-based historic growth that you think is going to happen. And then you've got the future-facing component, which is these are the things that we know are changing. So we definitely need to plan for that piece of this as well. So let me ask you this, and this is to help guide our conversation here. What are the metrics, if you're doing the rear view mirror view of this, what are the metrics that you would be focusing on for your organization to say, all things constant, we know this much growth might incur, or we're looking at like, say, constant workload, pending zero change. What, was, what would be some of those metrics you'd focus on? There's a few kind of key areas, if you want. One, you alluded to licensing uh, a short while ago as well. Licensing itself and usage of, and platform usage rather, is a reasonably good litmus of how things have been, if you want, and how they may change, even seasonally, how that might change as well. And I'm careful not to drag us down a rabbit hole with that, but even using licensing, which should be an accurate measurement of it, is subject to your good housekeeping practices and offboarding practices at the company itself. So in other words, look, if you're not cleaning up after people leave, then your licensing is artificially inflated. You are then um, subject purely down to the actual usage over time. But that's not such an easy one to follow either, because you've got power users, you've got someone that might sign in once in a blue moon to do it, et cetera, still need a license, but they're just not heavy users. So it requires a bit of analysis, to be quite honest. With regards to the headcount, 
That's a really good question. I'm not aware of any kind of scientific model or measurement for it. Look, if I need extra resources to support a known entity and a known initiative for the company, then again, partnering with whoever it is that's growing that, we can kind of establish what growth is necessary. But in the real world, and again, I'm genetically programmed to be pessimistic, so I'll give you the British slant on this. Look, in the real world, IT find out about 15 seconds before a new platform released by HR or something. It always happens and it always will happen. So you find yourself in a very reactive state. And the headcount component is the least, well, A, flexible, B, agile, and C, adaptive component of that increased demand as well. It's not something you can turn on its head. So you're trying to break out the crystal ball for resource and headcount over a period. And I just don't know what the answer to that is other than gut feel instinct and look at the past six months to see what that is while you do partner with the with the business. Yeah, it's a good point, right? We're talking about like predicting waves in the ocean. You know, it's, everything just moves so much. One of the things, and this is this is my own practice that we've tried to build into, we'll call it workload projections at Big Panda, is thinking through, okay, simplistic example. I've got 10 operators that I oversee that are supporting the business. And we handle on average, the workload capacity of each operator is roughly 300 tickets a month, right? And that tells me, oh, okay, I can handle 3,000 incidents without any spikes or major variability with my current headcount, right? What does that mean? Well, it means if we continue to support more and more tools or things continue to change and we think we can map or project that more tickets will come in, I'm going to need to map more headcount to this. Either throw more headcount at it because the incidents that I need to support have exceeded my workload capacity on heads, right? Or we need to make some sort of change to our tools that means an individual can handle a greater number of tickets or incidents per day. And so it it really becomes this balance between, yes, there truly is more workload, or no, we're going to reduce workload by introducing tooling. And so we're trying to give ourselves some breathing room and workload capacity so we're able to handle more, but potentially without adding additional FTE, full-time equivalent. And I think if I'm thinking about, I'm putting together some type of proposal, right? I think that it's probably got to include a little bit of, hey, here's how we've been operating. Here's some of the results, right? Here's what we saw last year in terms of major incidents or outages. And then this the daily hum of requests coming into IT. Here's the known changes that we think are coming and what that means for workload, and what we do to plan to handle that additional workload. And I I guess my question with this soapbox that I'm on here is, does the concept of workload and quantifying workload come into, say, a budgetary presentation at any point? Yeah, so it's a really good question, Craig. Again, my experience, kind of in the middle of how to balance out both and justify the ask versus what the strategy is to improve. And let me give you an example. And this is hypothetical, although honestly, it's not so unusual. In your example, you said, look, you've got, say, 
they're capable of processing 300 tickets for a month. So look, one of the things I strongly believe in, I'm Six Sigma certified as well, is the Pareto principle, which is the 80-20 rule. Whereas 80% of, of your incidents come from 20% of the causes, if you want. It usually rings true, okay, or thereabouts. In terms of bringing this around to a budget ask, if you want, I could ask for money to put into automation. And automation is key, all right? Back to that Pareto principle in that, look, most of the things that come across the help desk are like shampoo. They're just wash, rinse, and repeat. It's the same old stuff over and over again. And automation should be able to address that without any agent or resolving agent on a service desk having to touch it, right? The flip side of it, of course, is it requires investment to get to that stage. It's not just a matter of dropping in a chatbot and hoping that the conversations are right. all relevant and, and take the customer or the end user to the appropriate place. So you've got that development up front, which, yeah, you could argue is, uh, okay, well, you build that into your budget ask and you, you know where you're getting to. Say. However, when you get to justifying it, think of that ROI then. What you're really saying is, well, we're going to cut our 300 tickets per month for a resolving agent, I don't know, down to 100 tickets a month. So what are they going to do with the time that they spend on those automated 200 responses? In theory, you don't need that resolving agent. You do need them to do a myriad of other things that are happening around IT, but it's a very careful justification. And you have to have a very understanding person that approves your budgets to go through that. I do believe that you have to paint pictures and tell stories in order to get to that point. But it's it's not binary. It's not black and white. Justifying that initial spend, and I'm using automation as, a, as what I think is a good example here. Right. But it's not just a matter of justifying the spend on a bot. It's all the ancillary parts of it. Plus, the obvious question is, great, you've saved time and energy. Now, what do you do with those savings? So you've got to be prepared to have the follow-up conversation. Yeah. And that begs the further question. Let's say you've got this well-fabricated ask. You've got a data-driven or as much as you can get to a data-driven budget ask. In your experience, how understanding is the finance team that you're going to? Do they understand the nuance of workload reduction through automation and giving your operators capacity for special projects and the benefits those bring. How has that worked for you in the past? Have you, Has it fallen on kind of the, well, I hate to use the term uneducated ears, but if you're talking to someone who doesn't work in IT and finance people, right, they're probably not going to understand everything that we just talked about. Yeah, you say uneducated ears, sometimes it would fall on Van Gogh's ears, to be quite honest, it just doesn't exist. So number one, look, the times that it's worked really well for me is when I've got a good FP&A person to partner with, because they typically do. They're focused on perhaps a couple of business verticals. They don't have, you run the full gamut of everyone and larger organizations. So they begin to understand not the, not the technology per se, but the application of the technology and the need for it. And they begin to understand that and they will work with you. At the other end of the scale, there are those that ask a lot of questions that perhaps don't understand either the answer or the nuance 
that comes back of it. And they look at it as essentially just another financial transaction with whatever they feed into it and whatever they can expect out of it, not necessarily the justification of it. It goes back to what I said earlier, Craig, different companies manage their budgets differently. They have different styles and strategies to do that. My personal favorite is when you've got a tame FPNA person and they'll help you through it. And they'll help you with the justification as well, if nothing else. Very often in my last position, they would be the conduit to the, to the CFO. And if you've got them on board, they've already got the trust of the CFO. They may be the CFO's whipping boy occasionally, but they have the trust. And you, know, you can use that trust to your advantage. Yeah, that makes sense. And actually, that was going to be my follow-up question, which was, who do you prefer? The person who just doesn't really get it, but you've made a good argument and they want to act like they know what you're talking about. And they're like, oh yeah, it makes total sense. I'll take this and uh, we'll present it. Or the person who's asking a lot of questions to try and dig into the use case to help make that argument. Sounds like you're more in the latter camp than the former. Well, I am, but maybe not for the reason you think, because I'd rather deal with the bad news up front. I'd rather deal with some with the circumstances where you're having to perhaps further justify a request or an ask and have someone give you the third degree and make you really think about why you're asking it, why you are asking for it. Much rather have that pain up front than and someone comes back and says, hey, yeah, you remember that? half a million bucks we put down here. Do you really need it? Yeah, yeah, I just spent it probably. But you then have to go through a re-justification and perhaps which makes it a little painful. It, one thing, just in that answer, and another thing that is a constant theme and a problem, I think not only for myself in IT, but for other IT budget owners, is this is typically an annual event. And you get it over. Some companies' budget cycles are far longer than others. Others, just a few weeks conversation and bingo, you're done. But it's an annual event. And so your average IT guy then goes off and thinks about other stuff for 11 months of the year, only to come full circle the next year and think, holy crap, here we go again. Got to do the budgets. Now, how did I do this last year? How did I justify this spend? It pays, I promise you, to take notes and always have something to refer back on so that you're not continuing to weave a story that differs. So let's do this. Let's try to package this up for our listeners today. As we wrap up, we're trying to make juicy tidbit segments here. So think about this, right? We've got listeners that might be trying to craft or thinking about crafting, or maybe it's the first time they've been responsible for crafting a budget. Maybe break it down into three or four key points for them. What do we want them to do to set themselves up for success based on what we've talked about today? Right. Number one, get out there and partner. Okay. And understand who generates revenue, who doesn't. Understand who the key consumers of the services, of the IT services are. Work with them, partner with them, and get the skinny on where they think they're going to be in the next year or so. Understand potential future change to your landscape, essentially. Yeah. yeah. But with the, with the kind of backstop of having people in the business support that, they're not going to go out there and fly the flag on your behalf, but you should be able to refer to, I don't know, Jeff in marketing who says they're going to be putting this platform in in three months. And hey, here's what that means to IT. So here's my justification. And sorry, Jeff in marketing, by the way. Damn it, Jeff. I know, no, yeah. completely understand always Jeff. Right. So, um, number two, 
understand the history of your budget. Okay, understand where it's been. Go back as far as as far as you are able to look at it and see how it's trended over time. Or if you've been in charge of that budget for a while, then just refresh yourself. Like I say, there's usually 11 months gap in revisiting these things, at least. So just refresh yourself with that or get to know it, how it's looked in the past. Three, if you're lucky enough to have an FPMA person, buy a bottle of tequila, right? And just have them on side all of the time. You're not really selling to FPNA, but what you're doing is improving their understanding and having them lay the ground, or as I said, be the conduit between you and the CFO does not hurt at all. It's very, very useful. If you don't have the benefit of an FPNA person and you are dealing directly with the ultimate signer of the budget, then I don't know, buy two bottles of tequila. That makes perfect sense. No, that's sage advice. So just one thought to add to the newbie IT budgeteer, right, is always ask for a little bit more because you know you're going to get beaten down. And the golden one, which I was caught out early on in my life, was use it or lose it. If you ask for anything and you get that justified and you get it approved, use it. Because if you don't, that money won't be there the next time. That is great advice. That's a pro tip. That's not about process. That's about knowing your industry. I'm so glad you added that. Nigel, I really appreciate it. This has been, not only are we discussing the pros and cons of every piece of the pie here, every step that we're going to take here to craft a budget. Also understanding why there is no one particular route to take, right? Know your organization. What kind of a business are you dealing with? Give them a dollar amount and you either get a yes or no, or are you actually going in there and fully arming yourself for a discussion around why you need X, Y, and Z in order to continue your operations? Yeah. Nigel Peacock, really appreciate you joining us today. We'd love to have you back to talk about other things. Topics range. And I've really enjoyed just not only getting to know you, but hearing some of the strategies in crafting a budget. And whatever channel you're listening to this podcast on, if you're crafting a budget and heck, I don't even know where we publish this thing, but if you can comment and you're crafting a budget, let some of the other people know there how it's been going because hearing advice like this only helps us continue what we all do, which is support in some cases the unsupportable and shore up the dikes when the ocean is coming at you. Nigel Peacock, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome, Craig. It's a pleasure to be here. That was great. Thanks everyone for tuning in. This has been That's Great IT, your one-stop place to learn about IT ops and AI ops powered by Big Panda. Catch us on our next episode. Yeah.